OPN Ask an Angel podcasts are conversations with global angel investors and venture capitalists. We explore how to invest, understanding investment strategies, and approaches to due diligence. Join us and learn what it takes to be a startup or what it takes to invest in the next great company. Well, Chris, you know what? We've already got started. So just uh, us having this little uh, interlude into what's going on in our lives is a perfect segue to jump into uh, our uh, supporters fund, OPN Ask an Angel. And uh, we're super excited to be able to chat with you today, Chris. And the best way for us to start is if you can give us a little bit about a background on kind of where you've come from, what you've been up to, and then where you're going. And then one thing about you that nobody would know. Oh, boy. Um, I, I obviously I'm going to have to save that last one, um, um, towards the end, Jeff, but so, yeah, I, um, great to be here. Super excited to chat with you. Uh, I'm a 20 year media and tech founder and entrepreneur out of New York city. So I've built startups, um, and have had my fair share of successes, but also failures. I, uh, I parlayed those experiences into being an angel investor, uh, for four years under C2 ventures, and then rolled that into being an early stage um, venture partner for C2B Fund One, which is a $10 million early stage venture fund out of New York. We've made 18 investments um, backed by 60 awesome LPs. I uh, run a podcast show called Superpowers, where we identify and unlock everyone's unique superpower. So that's what keeps me very, very busy and, and, and enjoying it with the sort of main focus on supporting and helping founders both through experience, capital, and, and commercial introductions, both th through me and my partner, Matt, but also our collective um, LP bench. Uh, so I guess that addresses what I am doing now. Is the next part, uh, where am I going next? What's Yeah, what's, yeah. what's been, uh, what's your direction or what are you guys up to? So phase two is, so we've had a really good uh, fun one based on some uh, an early exit uh, to Peloton and, and four markups in the fund even though we're just two years old, uh, we launched in 2019. We now, Jeff, turn our attention to fund two, uh, which will be um, you know, about a four or five X, somewhere between a 40 and $50 million um, dollar fund. Still geographic location, the same, larger checks taking board seats. So we're spending a lot, of, a lot of our time, both with the founder community, as well as investors. Um, you wouldn't know I have a, Tattoo of a bulldog uh, holding a, it's meant to be a lacrosse stick, but it's uh, looks like a tennis racket. So there you go. Nice. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's something new. I guess you wouldn't know. That's good. I like that. <laughs> Very cool. Um, so maybe we can go back a little bit to, to your past. Uh, what did you find that really brings a lot of value to the companies that you invest in? that your past may have helped uh, bring that forward. So in your past startup experience, what thing did you really find that really made you successful? Was it the numbers? Was it the team? Was it the operations? And then you utilize that as kind of your uh, keystone moving forward with these companies that you work with. So number one is, again, as I mentioned, I've been a founder a few times. I ran a company called App Savvy out of New York, which kind of pioneered the idea of monetizing Facebook apps um, back in 0708 before smartphones. You know, I being a founder, I think uh, allows sort of a trust uh, and sort of the door to be open between future founders or current founders because you've been there, done that. Uh, and I'm also a people person. So I have Matt as my numbers guy, operational guy, where I think I've kind of earned sort of the right or respect in the founder community is I've been there. 
I understand kind of their their path and journey and how challenging it is based on my uh, my, my background and my experiences. I've also proven through my angel portfolio that founders really do appreciate the support and knowing where the bodies are buried and 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 really being in the trenches, which happens to be C2V's tagline. So those are, you know, one, once you sort of earn that, Jeff, and you do what you say you're going to do, which a lot of people don't do, whether it's help them raise money or drive revenue, um, and you're kind of on talks, you know, constant texts with them, then that just opens up a reputational uh, reference piece, which has kind of snowballed positively for us so far, touch wood. So, you know, I think it's a good eye on the people side. I've always been good at that. There's a lot of things I suck at, but I'm fairly good at sort of the, the identifying good people and, and, and working with people, but also um, based on our core thesis and verticals that we invest in, uh, understanding after, you know, six years, what are kind of the core components that we look for to hopefully identify founders and startups that are working on really big problems that can create great outcomes. So when you're going through these six things, again, does it relate back to what you started? Did you have that same type of mentoring and advice when you were starting your company? No, no, it's actually just the opposite. Hence the idea. Like I, I think all great ideas are born out of past frustrations and pain. That's just one man's opinion. Um, but no, you know, through my experience, I had had a bad board member. Um, we had an exit opportunity to a publicly traded company. Now we had a failed exit here. We had all these different things. And when I looked back and kind of kicked the dust off, I'm like, man, where were those sort of people that I probably needed as a late twenties, you know, second time founder who thought he knew it all, but did not know it all, <laughs> you know, had not been humbled yet. Um, and had not appreciated that failure is actually a really good thing, even though at the time that it happens, it's very hard to swallow that, accept it, and actually say it out loud. I think as you get older, you you kind of appreciate those things. So no, Jeff, I came at a polar opposite. You know, most people come at things like, I crushed it. Here is my, you know, here's who I exited to, and here's my numbers or my art. I came at it more from like, man, I, I've, I've been there, done that, and I can make sure that um, you don't you don't make the same mistakes I made. So I came at it from a kind of a more realistic, humble approach, which, which has served me well. And you find that with the companies that you're working with, that they're taking to that kind of advice and I guess driven uh, problem solving that you're bringing, which is, hey, I've been there. Let's take a second and take a step back and refocus on how you're running your business or how you're engaging with people and using that as kind of that forward momentum to, to build trust? Yeah, I mean, you know, look, to be clear, the founder, it's their company, it's not our company. We're investors, we have a share, we're motivated for them to do well, but we don't ask, we don't run companies. It's like any natural relationship that you have that you've had for years or decades or whatnot, which is number one, if you believe in a founder early when a lot of people pass, that, that develops trust. You write a check, now you're at a whole other level. Now you sort of commit to doing things, which I think a lot of firms fall short on uh, for whatever reason. Um, then you really sort of cement your, your kind of rapport, which again, I have with the majority of our portfolio founders. So it, it, that, that's generally kind of the, the sequence of the path of, of building the trust. And as you do that, um, it allows you to get a better perspective and position on how the company's actually doing. So just said another way, 
you know, if you Google this startup failure rate, like it's 85%, it's insane. But when you look at the numbers at early stage, the mistakes are being uh, repeated, meaning the same mistakes are being made over and over. And our thesis is that that's because best practices aren't being shared in a thoughtful way. Everyone's too busy. Quarterly board meetings happen, obviously, quarterly every three months. So how do we close that gap? And if you develop trust through the things I already outlined, then you're going to get greater visibility. Hey, by the way, I'm having a hard time with my co-founder. Hey, by the way, we just raised three million bucks. Should I get office space? Hey, how do I hire this? Or should I grow too quick? Or my board member thinks I... Those are all all sort of questions and output that we have seen and heard before that we could sort of offer our advice to. Now, whether they decide to take that advice is up to them, but we generally find that it really helps the founder mission. So it kind of, in a way, makes me think that because you have a structured way on how you want to uh, enable your founders, do you kind of find that the companies, if you look at all the ones, the 18 that you've invested in, that the founders all have very strong similarities to what you're really refining as these people like what we're saying. They like what we're talking about. You know what? They were looking about office space. They decided not to because they didn't think they're the right size. They agreed. So they didn't do it. But they all kind of have that same uh, molding that you're looking for to being a big company. So you've kind of talked to them, coached them through, they're really coachable and there's some real excitement behind that. And they're really um, taking in the right insights that you guys are providing. Yeah. I mean, look, all over our website or credentials and part of our pitch when you're, when we're getting to know them through uh, Zoom, that's on the table. If you're a founder and you're like, man, I, I don't like the sound of this, then we're not a good fit. But I think through the dating process, which is multiple calls and diligence, and then we do references. Like, Jeff, this isn't, I did four years of hardcore angel investing, you know, 18 companies deployed over half a million. And I mean, a lot of great companies returned my own capital, yada, yada. But this is a lot different uh, through an early stage venture fund because, you know, we're an institutional fund. We're backed by some massive names and family offices. So through that experience, through that diligence process, it's determined whether we're good fits or not, right? And to be clear, we don't want to, we don't have the bandwidth or can it scale to run a company. But certainly if the founder is like, I got no interest in talking to my investors, not that anyone really says that directly, we're we're probably not really a good fit. And luckily through the last kind of four years, it's all very organic. Like all good products I think are sort of built is people talking to people, founders tell founders, hey, C2B invested. They did exactly what they said they were going to do. They stay out of my way, but they're helpful. And, you know, and now it's all word of mouth. When I see inbounds, it's always some sort of email chain of like, hey, does anyone know? And then, you know, so it, again, the, the founder community is small. Uh, if you if you screw up, you're you're in big trouble um, as it relates to being a, a VC. But if you if you do what you say you're going to do, it can be extremely helpful as it relates to deal flow. And at the end of the day, deal flow, quality deal flow is probably one of the most important sort of selling points of any venture firm. You touched on uh, a previous point, which is um, structured around uh, building a solid rapport um, with your founders. How did you go about doing that? 
And what, what is the win? Like you said, you had a couple of exits before. Is that what you utilize as kind of your propelling way to say, hey, we've got some good advice here? Or what did you have to do in order to build your rapport to get your startups in line? And the reason I ask this question isn't so much for proving what you guys are doing, but kind of helping the startup look like, hey, I got to build rapport with a VC and I got to build this up so that I can have these guys have my back. Yeah, I mean, um, the good ones do their research and they find out on their own. The, the other ones that are kind of introduced somewhere that get to know you, they hear your story. Again, the, my partner, Matt, is a polar opposite, different swim lane, Wall Street hedge fund, certified CFA. He's a really, he's an operator. So we have complementary skill sets. When you look at our investor base too, Jeff, which is very unique about us is most venture firms are very happy to take your check and to make you money, but stay out of our way. That You're called an LP, a limited partner, right? We're just the opposite. We're kind of more, we, our investors meet our founders. They, Matt and I don't pretend to be the smartest guys in the room. So if we don't know machine learning, AI, or data really well, we have other guys or gals that are LPs that do. My point is, as we go through our sort of our thesis and who we are and why we are and where we come from and all that, then sort of the dots are somewhat connected to say, okay, wow, you got those three people that you know run Spotify's engineering group or worked at Google. Or, oh, wow, I can get access to them. So listen, at the early stages, it's like, I don't know if you have kids, but it's like, it's kind of that same sort of uh, example where those critical years of development you know, it's where most companies, if you can get past a pre-seed angel, friends and family, pre-seed seed, right, which is where we play, to your series A. Your series A is generally three to five million, two to four million. It's generally three, year three or four. Again, Jeff, you can, you can move these things around a little bit. But that's, if you can get to that stage, you are, you have certainly not, you're not in the home stretch and you could still run out of money and things could go sideways. Look at WeWork. Um, or maybe you run an unprofitable company, Casper Mattress, but you've gotten through a very critical piece. So one thing I didn't mention in regards to kind of who we are is that is our focus. We are not a middle stage or a late stage venture firm. When you can get to your series A and you can hire an executive team, what we say voluntary is like, listen, we're still here for you. We're going to be front, but you've kind of almost outgrown what we're good at meaning we're really laser focused on a specific part of the timeline, which is clear to the founder and is what we're good at. And I, I honestly think, Jeff, sometimes it's good to say what you suck at. Like, I'm not a great scale guy. I can't take your company from 20 people to 100 or 200. Never done it. But, I've, but I can tell you everything you want to know to some extent with our LPs about years, you know, zero to three. If that does that make sense? Hundred percent, and that's valuable knowledge, right? Being able to, as an operator, be able to take a company three years, ten years, but being able to take it that three years and get them from zero to twenty people, which is crucial, and turn them into a real business outside of alpha and beta and MVP. Now you've got them into something structured, and you can help them get to that Series A. Man, there's companies out there, lots of VC firms that want to just jump in on Series A companies that. Are at that stage, right? And if you're that's helping right. them get there, that's huge. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yep. So th there was another comment you made that um, I want to kind of explore too, because I think it's just as crucial as the phase you guys are coming in. What you said, do what you say, um, 
And I think that that to me is really crucial. Um, why, when you mention it, why do you think that carries any weight and what's the value behind that? Cause we all have had those meetings and calls where it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll follow up. I'll connect you. Oh yeah. 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 Like, I'll get back to you next week. Again, Jeff, you, you tell me if you've had a different experience, but I, I think, you know, whatever that, that percentage is 70% where they generally don't sort of formulate and people, you know, don't sort of fall through. So if, if you have a call with a founder, as you're in the diligence process, if you can be helpful or value add before you write a check, they notice, right? That's a, it's a, it's, it, it, listen, it, this isn't rocket science and I can't pretend that I've uncovered something genius. It's called execution. And I also, you know, it's not glamorous. It's not, it's not a ton of fun, but it's what's required to both uh, allow yourself the opportunity to partner with the founder and to build to build trust in particular in, a, in an environment now where everything's done through zoom, right. And there, there's less sort of coffee meetings and things like that with the pandemic. So execution and follow through is critical. I would advise this to anybody doing any line of work in any vertical. Again, I'm stating something very obvious, like duh, but you'd be surprised with the, with the, with the actual follow through of it. And, and, um, and, and, and also not committing to things that you can't do um, that combined with dry powder combined with a, you know, a, 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 a thoughtful and smart investor base, um, you know, and look at the end of the day, you know, you want to work with people that you like and trust and that are fun and enjoyable. Life is short. So hopefully we can articulate or express our kind of our true selves, um, through the, through the process. And hopefully other people would also say, Hey, these guys are awesome to work with, which as you know, you know, those kind of, kinds of references are, are gold. Well, they carry a, carry a long way. Yeah. Uh, and when it comes to execution, I, I think, you know, you, you really defined it that it's all about um, closing the loop. It's executing. It's, it's showing that showing the investor side that you can go all the way in something you're going to say you're going to do. If you're going to make an introduction or you're going to send over a business plan or financials or something, um, it carries a, a lot of value when, you send it on time or in that same time frame, and it's almost uh, in, a, in a way addictive because if you find a founder that's very uh, meets the requirements you're looking for, it's hard for you not to want to keep working with them and want to make an investment. That's uh, right. Because you're like, oh my god, they sent me this whole deep dive folder and it's all ready to go. This is incredible, and they were a day early. So you, you kind of get really focused attention to that, which pulls you away from everything else you're working on because they're really hitting that criteria for you. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, look, you, you do that enough times and um, um, you, you begin to build somewhat of a flywheel or call it a snowball. And, and um, I think if you ask me, you know, what, what keeps me up or the challenge as relates to where we are now and our, our second fund, it's just going to be the ability to scale what's working, right? You know, anything sort of smaller, you could argue is easier to do because it's smaller. So how, how do we scale as we write more checks, bigger checks? And, and, and that the answer is we lean more, continue to lean more on our, on our investor community. Um, the people that have written checks in our fund, again, the idea, the objective is to make a return. It's called venture capital, right? But it's also to be heavily involved and active. Um, not for everybody, but for the majority of them. 
No, that's great. Is there any kind of pieces of advice you'd give to a startup that would say, you know what, if you're going to interact with us, you know, come, I don't know, guns loaded or what, what is the kind of thing that you guys look for that really benefits you to move forward? Yeah. I mean, um, what one piece of advice is you never want to go talk to an investor, two things. One, know your audience and, and do the research and don't come in blind. And it takes time, you know, uh, could take five minutes, could take 20, but that's an important thing. You know, we see 15 company pitches a week. We, we can tell who's done the diligence trying to get in through a referral or a reference. Can't ask some young founder to, to, to have a, 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 a massive network, but if you can try to work that through or connect the dots, that helps. I think the main thing though is, show some grind, show some sweat. Don't come at us with, you've, you're literally starting day one with an idea that you haven't raised friends and family, that you haven't sort of unloaded your bank account or you've gone into, I don't want people to go into financial debt, but we wanna see that you've attempted or you've built some sort of trajectory before you come to a early stage venture firm because Listen, this shit's hard and no one should do it unless, you know, they're willing to kind of run through a burning building because it is brutally difficult. You got every headwind. Number two, like, and then on top of that, ask yourself why you're doing it. Do you just want to tick the box to be an entrepreneur or founder? Terrible uh, strategy. <laughs> Third, um, I mentioned this to you earlier, Jeff, is I do think, you know, a lot of people are like, want to start ideas just because it sounds cool. Or my buddy thought that was cool. Or this solves a problem for me. That's not enough either. Like, really, it's ideally, you lived in some sort of experience, you worked in a company, you're like, oh, my God, like, this is a massive problem. It's so obvious. And you, and you have to start it. Then go through friends and family and angels and get a customer, get a logo and grow. Okay get to know the VC and then ask, do not come to an investor without showing some real sweat equity. Bad boot. No, it makes a, it makes a big difference for sure. Especially when you're going into a, we'll call it later stage when you're going into a, a VC or later than all of the other groupings, uh, you know, they want to see some, some metrics. They want to see some value and, and hustle that you've put into it. Yeah, I love the uh, concept, though, of show some grind, because a lot of the times and I've heard stories all the time, they'll say, I'll meet you at 6 a.m. down at the corner of a coffee shop or uh, let's have a call at six. And people are thinking, why are we talking at six in the damn morning? And, and it's more like I want to see how dedicated you are to actually making this happen yeah. and uh, and push them to that limit, because there is a. Uh, I think there's a desire to want to invest in everybody. Every idea is great. But when it comes down to it, it's who is really going to be able to be standing here in five years with that's grown a great company. It's going to be the ones that put the hustle in every minute of every day to make that happen. Yeah, listen, um, I don't really have too much to add to that. I mean, that that's right. I, I would also, it kind of takes me on another kind of path here, but hopefully helpful to, to a listener is beyond being available you'll be surprised with the response time and speed on a weekend or on a Sunday, you know, um, or on a holiday. Now, maybe not a holiday, but let's say it's a Saturday, Sunday. Now, 
most people would sort of argue like, oh, that's personal time and be offensive or whatnot. It, it's actually the best time to get um, in front of someone because they don't have that same sort of, you know, kind of email flow or whatnot. So I know I, I'm kind of taking this a different direction, but but I, I would be very, I, I'd be creative and sort of think out of the box as it relates to the best time to reach out or email. You'll get emails from the CEOs of publicly traded companies on a Sunday afternoon. Trust me. Yeah. Well, no, you do. And it, it's, it's like anything you're hustling, you're trying to find the best way to communicate with people. So uh, like anything, if I want to get an investor investor's attention, I, I got to do what it takes. And I want them to see that I'm willing to do what it takes uh, to make that happen as well. I've had people call me Saturday morning at whatever time it was and try to connect and just start pitching. Exactly. And, uh, yeah. And you're just in your mind, you're thinking, this is crazy. But then on the other side of it, you're like, this is amazing because it's <laughs> the same thing I would do if I was trying to go get a job or something. I would do whatever angle I have to work in order to move that forward. Right. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. Um, yeah. Um, so, and then, Jeff, again, I, I hope you don't mind sort of just some of the thoughts as, they, as they're coming. In yeah, fire away. Play. But, you know, I, I, I think developing a rapport and um, creating kind of a steady communication is wise. So if you're a startup and you meet me, hey, Chris, I'm not pitching you. I just want to let you know that me and my co-founder, Jeff, are building this thing. We saw you did X and want to be on your radar. Do you mind if we add you to, your, to our monthly uh, newsletter or quarterly? Of course, I'm not going to say no. I'm not a jerk, right? Now you kind of built this relationship and, and you're, you're doing it consistently. They see your name. You send it the first of every month not ad hoc, not random, not out of sight, out of mind, like a consistent thing. So there's a way to also develop, I know we're kind of going down a track of raising capital, but I think that's every, you know, most people's challenge is um, how can you get to know somebody in a way of not pitching them? So I could reach out to you, Jeff, and say, hey, I want to tell you what I'm doing, but not at, not make an ask, which almost has some sometimes reverse psychology to be like, wait a second, are you, why are you, are you going to ask me to invest in this? Because this looks pretty cool, right? So um, I think that's something too to, to kind of um, to, to kind of think about as a tool. Because um, look, in three of our companies, one of them we watched for ten months, one of them was six months. I know the founder probably didn't believe us at the time that we're like, no, 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 we we generally want to track. Uh, you're too early, but let us follow your progress, and. I know that sounds like bullshit at the time, but again, for us, it's true. So that's another just little hack. Let's call it a relationship fundraising hack. Yeah, and, and you're, you're right. It's the it's a little, it's like a drip campaign. Yeah. You're trying to keep them seeing your name and understanding the value. It's like clicking on your LinkedIn every couple of months. Uh, eventually you're gonna think you know me. And then you're going to add me on when I go and add you a few, a few months later because you feel compelled to want to engage with me because you're trying to understand what that need is. And then there's a good value opportunity that comes across both sides. That's 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 exactly right. Exactly. They're all they're all those little kind of ways to doing it. Not, you know, basically, basically, if you've seen it done to you and you uh, some sort of spam email or you could tell it was like cut and pasted and the format was terrible or they didn't, then how do you think someone else is going to respond to it? And, 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 you know, and, and um, yeah, everyone's always trying to save time, but probably not the best, probably not the best way to save time when you're trying to 
raise, raise, build a relationship or try to get on someone's radar. For sure. So it's kind of interesting, like, you know, taking your background with all the things that you've done in the startup community and now working on this investor side and just different ways to engage. Uh, the biggest subject that always comes across and it's the biggest feared thing is failure. And as you mentioned in your background, you've had wins and fails and all this good stuff. How do you work with the fail side of the business? Is it something that you kind of tuck away and pretend it wasn't there because we want to glorify the wins? Or is there a way that says, you know what, uh, cut the ties quick, fail the company, but here's a great new direction you should go in. Well, did, well, did you look at that type of stuff? Well, the way I, I was addressing the failed uh, sort of comment is um, I, in my late 20s, early 30s, again, more, you know, overconfident. And, you know, that's why you invest in those kinds of people. They got to be sure of themselves. And, and, and I think that's basically the mantra of most founders, but they, 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 it's hard to admit when you're wrong. I think that comes with age and some gray hairs and, um, and being comfortable with your identity and, and all that. But I think that's literally that comes with, with time. I, I don't think that's so when I had some, some, some serious bumps in my kind of founder experience, I didn't know if I wanted to talk about it or, um, I'd be totally truthful with what exactly went down because I was worried of what people thought. Anyway, that though I, I truly believe and know that without those experiences, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't have a you know venture fund. I wouldn't all these, I just know it. So my point is um that was for kind of building the relationship with founders as they got to know me in C2 Ventures. But generally speaking, so that's that's kind of my background. Your question, we, because of our model, we stay really close with our founders. So in theory, we're going to avoid more mistakes because we're close with the founder, right? And we are okay with this, let's use baseball analogy, Jeff, is, you know, a single or double or triple, meaning a okay return or a, a, your money back is a hell of a lot better than it being a zero. Now, a lot of firms would not admit that or say that because everyone's unicorn hunting, which I think is nonsense. Of course, everyone wants a billion dollar outcome. It's not reality. Only in its very, very worst case, and you've tried everything, is it time to sort of say, okay, this wasn't working. And any more time we put on this is probably a bad use of everyone's time. I think most firms jump to that much earlier. We try, it, it, you know, think about your relationships. Think about your lawn care. Think about any maintenance. If you ignore it, your wife, your spouse, it's not, it, you're going to drift. So same theory, stay as close as possible. Identify where those pain points are. You build trust and then you, you can hopefully guide them the right way. Um, yeah. So that, that I kind of answer that both from how I position my story as, as my bio to build trust Listen, when people come out and they're like, oh man, I, I fucked up that, uh, you know, I fucked up here. I, I, I failed here. Or you, 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 you close so much more um, sort of um, a connection with that individual versus coming to me and like, I, I, you know, I've crushed it. And again, I'm being very wide range here. I think you get the idea. So, yeah. Well, agreed. And I, I think it, it, well, like you said, in time you build humility, but people want to learn that people have gone through those mistakes or people have figured out how to get around them. 
And I would think in most part, most founders want to avoid getting into that mistake and failing their company. So being able to have you guys really driven into supporting them, I think is helpful. Now, you made another comment earlier, which um, I think kind of will detail out the whole direction of this entire call, which is um, when a company is um, working with venture firms, there's this mentality or this somewhere out in the ether that someone created this question that said, don't go to venture capitalists because they're going to take over and run your company. Um, and you kind of mentioned that, whoa, 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 that's not really what we're here to do. We're here to support you. You're the founder. We want to help you grow the company. Um, can you give us a little bit more understanding of why that people think this? What's the reason for it? Um, I know, I, you know, I, it's crazy, first of all. I, I think it's like I'd refer to like what works for media headlines. Listen, Jeff, are there are there examples where this happens, where change of control or bad founders and boards take over? Sure. I'd say it's like one to 3%. It's the tiniest sliver, but that's headlines. That's what Business Insider or others, who I love, by the way, or Forbes, they write about, write about. Genuinely, at the earliest stages or Series A, that's not really happening, right? Because um, the founders own most of the shares. Uh, collectively, they have the voting rights. I think where you start seeing this sort of maybe where it becomes a little bit more potentially toxic or, or challenging is when you're like, get, when you know, when everyone knows it's going to be a billion, you know, multi-billion dollar company, a Facebook or Twitter or an Uber, or we, you know, and now it's like, forget the relationship, the, you know, sharp elbows. We're going to, this. there's, there's hundreds of millions or billions of dollars at stake. Let's get rid of that founder. Let's move. Generally, those things happen if it's not being run the right way. Right. If it's if the company's not being run well, if they're not performing, but in a collective very, manner, you mean what's that? In a collective manner. Like Correct. the grouping of people don't believe that this is being operated in the a right or, way. Or yeah, to, if you have multiple board members saying, Hey, you got to fire this guy or this gal, you've really, I mean, that's a big this isn't like, you know, you know, maybe be showing up late to a meeting. This is like you stole from the company or you misrepresented numbers like very rare but does it happen sure you know so this idea that vcs um want to take control and all that is is crazy um i i the all the ones that i know um look there's always exceptions and outliers okay but they don't want to run your company they don't have the time they want to pick great founders to run their own company they 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 want to make good returns and and be helpful um but you know, I, they very, very rarely happen in sort of the first five years or kind of anything early stage. Um, I think European, I've talked to Europeans and Nordics, and they really have this sort of notion that VCs come in and take control. All these docs today, there's like three major law firms, say out of New York City, they all have the same, it's all very vanilla, um, you know, of what, what, VCs get and what they expect, but none of them are to like run companies and push people around. It, it's, it's no. <laughs> no, and it's good. We have to break that down because I think a lot of people really think that that's the case. And then there's this fear. It's the same fear of you shouldn't take angel investing or you shouldn't take investing in period. Yeah, period. Um, somewhere, someone created a storyline and just kept pushing it that you don't need financing. And then they'll talk to some VCs and be like, yeah, I don't take money. 
And you're like, well, there is a reason for when you take money and there's a position for taking financing and, and growing your company and finance is what's going to drive that. Um, maybe you can throw out a couple of recommendations on when you think is the right time for investment as you just demystified that people don't have to worry too much about a VC deciding well, to take well, over. Well, first of all, an angel round. I mean, look, there's price rounds, Jeff, and there's convertible notes when you, um, you know, that's kind of the most classic form of, of, of uh, or, or, or tool, if you will. Um, it, it's investors getting a discount on their money um, um, and, and it, it converts with a discount once that round uh, is has a has is associated with a price round, which is hey, it's valued at ten or fourteen by an outside investor. I'm just making up those numbers, but you get the idea. Um, there is again from an angel seed level, the founders run the company. They have control. They can essentially do what they want. The investors are putting their money in based on you know their potential upside, but. I hope I'm not demystifying anything. It's just not the case at all. Um, what was your other question though? Um, well, just, just around the investment side, like people are afraid don't to take money, when to take money. Is there any recommendation on when you think it's the right growth period that businesses should look to raise funds? You got to raise money in conjunction to what your plan says you should be doing. Uh, so you know, um, if you raise a half a million dollars in angel or seed because you need to get hire three people and get your MVP, your minimal viable product out, or get, so that's that's great. Then you go to a C2V to raise, you know, another million and a half with some other investors, and that gets you another two years of runway. And so you should do it very much in conjunction to what your company is looking to do. And the number that you ask for should be very, very dialed in to what it is that you're going to spend on. It can't be random. It, it has to be very thoughtful, maybe not to the penny, but pretty darn close. So the ideal scenario is you raise based on sort of stages, right? By taking $800,000 from friends and family, I'm able to do X. I executed, now I raised 2 million to do Y, and now I'm going to raise 3 million to do Z, but you don't even get Y and Z unless you execute it on X. Does that make sense? Yep. So, it, you know, there should be a very kind of lockstep relationship between your ask and what you're meant to accomplish with that with those funds. Okay. I love it. Well, I think you've kind of taken us on a really good journey. I think there's a lot of insights, well, a ton of insights there on how and what investors or startups should look for when they're putting dollars into a company, uh, what they should do in the terms of um, when to raise, and even all the way to the back to uh, how to manage with rapport and how to communicate and build that company. So one question that before we get into the rapid fire questions, I want to ask is that through the time that you've been investing, the time that you've been working with investors, uh, LPs and, and startups, is there a real heartfelt story of what it took to be an entrepreneur that really blew your mind away? It's a story that you can share about one of the companies that uh, you felt like, wow, these guys really made it. I mean, just one quick one. I won't mention her name, but it was a basically a journey of constant passes from investors, not taking meetings, being flown out to be on that uh, show um, that Gary Vee was going to be on, like uh, App Planet, that Apple was going to run uh, on television to find out that they changed their mind and then they weren't going to have her on and then she had like $75 and like 
wasn't too sure how she was going to like spend the night in LA, like real stories. And that may be the extreme, but um, those are the kinds of sacrifices that I mentioned earlier that I think are important. So, you know, it could have been third year, uh, third year um, um, uh, uh, um, trucking coming from a third generation trucking family. We just announced a company uh, investment in a company called Coffee Labs. But again, years of sort of understanding how complex a problem is. So there's always some kind of unique, like, wow, like how did you get there? Um, but I would say the 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 story. Her name's Susan, but the story around her and what she had to go through was like. Again, you you know, blood, sweat, and tears. Like you, you, you kind of expect to hear those stories. You lost your job, you had to borrow. You know, again, sacrifice. And what was the outcome? Raised a Series A, grew. You know, um, going through kind of a different wave of challenges with the pandemic because her business is connected to travel, uh, which obviously is a tough vertical to be in with the pandemic. But certainly for two years before the pandemic, very nice growth. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, you want to make sure it's uh, it has a good ending or it's going to make a good ending in time. So that's brilliant. Yeah. Love it. Thank you for sharing. Um, okay, we're going we're gonna to jump into the rapid fire questions. All right, first question. What got you started in investing in startups? So 16 years as a media founder executive, I knew I wanted to shift into venture and work with startups, but I had to build a portfolio to kind of pivot from being a founder CEO to an investor. Um, so yeah, that was basically spending my own money, taking my own risk, learning independently for about three or four years, starting back as 2014 when C2 Ventures started. So that was kind of my, that was kind of my, transition for people know me as an ad tech media guy in New York to a, to, to an investor. And again, it took years to kind of make that shift. Investing in two companies doesn't do it. That's awesome. Very similar. Just always working with startups, always doing things, but you're still doing your own thing and you got to make an image. And yeah. Change. Look, I've been a startup founder for, you know, I've been in tech and tech and online and media for 16 years. So like I, I've never been wall street. I've never, I've only done that. The next shift was like, all right, maybe I should start investing in them. All right. How did you, how do you do there? And did they get you involved? And uh, you know, did they like you? And that was the next sort of portfolio and before the fund, my point is, you, you, the traction and timeline into that path is critical. So you can um, repurpose your, your image and you can uh, change your destiny by putting the time into it and, and planning it and being strategic about where you're trying to go and, and put it that in place and move it forward. Sure. Absolutely. I love it. Uh, what's your favorite part of investing? The founders work, just getting to know the, getting to know the founders, building the relationships with them. And, and, um, you know, they become friends and you get to know their partners and you have dinner with them. And it's, you know, it's like modern day, it sounds cheesy, uh, but it's like, you know, the Tom Cruise, Jerry Maguire relationship with athletes. Like it's a real thing. That's definitely the best part. Awesome. Well, you did say that you're the people person of the business. So uh, I'm kind of guessing that the other side, your partner may have a different perspective on that then. He's, um, you know, I'm with the investors and the kind of CTV marketing machine and the founder relationship. He can do those things, 
but I think, you know, everyone kind of recognizes that you can only be good at a few things. You can't be great at everything. He's definitely an operations. He's a CFO. He's a COO. He's a, you know, behind the scenes guy. He's the offensive lineman. If you want to go football analogy, yep. uh, you got to have the, all those pieces critical to have the complimentary partner. I, I thought when I started this before I met Matt that I needed another person like me and thank God I was wrong with that. Um, he, he's a polar opposite. Yeah. In a good way. Brilliant. Um, how many companies do you invest in per year? Um, about eight, between eight and 10. Brilliant. Way above the normals. That's awesome. Between eight to 10. Uh, any verticals you like to focus on? We love the boring shit. Like we have some, we, we have some, um, we have, we're invested in one of the fastest growing CBD companies in the country called Beam, uh, backed by like, you know, famous athletes and Baker Mayfield, Danica Patrick. But where Matt and I have gravitated, our interest is looking at legacy industries and verticals from bathroom cleaning to construction, trucking insurance, data that helps airlines price their flights. So, you know, legacy industries that have billions of dollars of spend and market share but have no automation or innovation or lack of software and they're ripe for disruption. So when I said boring, I meant it's not clubhouse. It's not a shiny new toy. It's a something that's big and real, but we know the money's there, right? You don't have to dispute that. It, what's disputable or questionable is, are they, how archaic uh, is their process? Is their systems, can it be, can it be disrupted? I like it. Try true businesses. They've been uh, their legacy, but they need some disruption. Yes. Uh, do you have any due diligence requirements that you look for before making a commitment? So anything around people, the founders. So since we invest early, you know, that's 70, 75%. So there are ideally some reference points. Hopefully I would have known them through some other kind of connection, not mandatory, but we'd like that tactical co-founder. We're not going to invest in anything that doesn't have some some really core kind of engineering um, at, at the early stages, because today in tech, if you don't have some sort of IP, probably not going to be that successful um, and tougher to hire, tougher to hire that in later. Um, and then obviously it's got to hit our thesis. So we see a lot of deals that are like, hey, this is cool. I'd invest in this at a personal level, not that I do anymore, but in theory, but it has to fit our thesis. We really try to stay disciplined. I like it. Discipline, number one. Yes. Uh, do you lead rounds? So um, we, um, we, with fund one, we're not, we're not technically set up to lead, even though we've led one that's public and we're going to lead another one. That's really the, the, the focus of fund two, which is to always lead, um, ideally always lead with bigger checks. So right now with our first fund, which is, you know, just sub 10 million, it's more, we will kind of follow, um, you know, with a kind of a 200 or 250 K check. And then we reserve uh, half the fund for follow on investment as that company kind of approaches a series A, but that's fun one with fun two, Jeff. Yes. We'll be leading more. Awesome. Uh, do you have preferred terms that you like to invest on? If it's pref shares, common shares, safes, Stand, 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 I'll just leave it at standard economics that are fair for all parties. Okay. Uh, do you do you do follow on investments? 
We do. Uh, yeah, I mentioned yeah, half of our fund is reserved for follow-on. Yep. Okay. Meaning, so once we write that initial ticket check, we'll track you. And so long as you're doing what you said you were going to do, and an outside investor comes in to lead, we're obviously going to participate and leverage our pro rata. In some cases, we may put more in. Okay. Awesome. Uh, do you take board seats? We do. Okay. And last question is, uh, do you guys do anything outside of the money side of it? You mentioned building relations, but are there other things that you do to help support the companies? Um, introductions, fundraising, revenue, hiring, sort of chit-chatting about past experiences. So like a, you know, a real tried and true relationship. So all those things. I love it. Awesome. Super helpful and always good for the startups uh, to have that mentoring, coaching and support while they grow. Yes. Brilliant. Well, we're getting pretty close to the end. I think we've learned a ton and now we've got just three personal questions that we like to ask. Question one, what's your favorite sports team? So I'm from Boston. So you can, you can do the, uh, the math behind that one. Um, I'll go with the Patriots. You know, I grew up watching them both in the bad times, which no one wants to remember and our good times and obviously in a rebuilding, but the Pats. So the, the good times that now have gone to the mediocre times, the, the, the amazing times that are now in the good to okay rebuilding times. Yes. All right. Fair enough. Hey, yeah. you got to rebuild at some point, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. We're, we're definitely there now. Awesome. Uh, favorite movie. And what character would you play in the movie? Um, oh, man. Uh, um, uh, let's go with, um, I don't know. Let's go with, let's go with, let's go with Shawshank as far as the movie. I mean, probably Morgan Freeman with his kind of tenacity and grind um, that he had to kind of go through. Um, and I don't even know if I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of bust the, the character piece, but that's definitely a top movie of mine. I should have probably given you some, some, uh, Chevy Chase comedy. Yeah. Let's go with that. Let's go. Let's go with like lampoons. And just because he's just a nutty, crazy dad. That's my, that's my new answer. All right. Actually, they're both good. Uh, I think there was someone else, uh, in the mix that did Shawshank, but I don't know if they picked Morgan Freeman, but uh, it was in the top movies. Lampoons hasn't come up yet, so that one's a good one. That's that. Uh, we're going. We're going to stick with that. Or I think um, what was the one with it came up? It was with Chevy Chase, and it was uh, uh, oh my god, he was wearing the uh, Lakers outfit in the in the show. He had the big wig, skate. Yes, uh, that too. <laughs> Uh, what one was that? That one was classic. I watched that one not too long ago, but that one came up. I can't think of why I don't know the name, but uh, I can see the the video cover, the VHS video cover with uh, him on it with his ID on the front. It was like an undercover. Yeah, no, I know what you're talking about. I'm terrible with the uh, with remembering. Like my partner would be ashamed right now because he's like um, pop culture off the cuff. You know, I'm like the worst when it comes to that. Yeah. Well, those are, those are good. Those are good flicks. Uh, I'm going to have to watch the Shawshank one. It's been a while, but uh, I do appreciate it. Uh, I think it, like you said, 
uh, with Lampoons and Chevy Chase. It brings a lot to the character definition, which it brings out to a lot of the type of way that you think or the way you act or the way you drive things. And they're both great because Morgan Freeman was a guy that got things done and found ways to make it happen. So got stuff yeah, done. Chevy Chase did the same thing. So they're uh, they're great characters. So yes. Uh, but Chris, it was a pleasure speaking with you. I got to learn a lot. I'm sure the audience has learned a lot. Uh, but we went through a, a great little journey, as you mentioned. And the way we like to end the show is we like you to have the last word. So anything that you want to provide as advice to investors or to startups, I turn it over to you. And uh, thank you again for your time. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. I would just say, if there, this is probably going to be, you know, we're coming out of a really difficult last year, stating the, the obvious, but I think post pandemic, we're going to see a tremendous amount of innovation like more than we've never, ever seen before. And there's founders working on this stuff right now. So one, if you're an investor, get invested in this asset class, like now. Um, great that you got the stock market or your real estate. And we'd love to have your check for fund two or fund three. Invest it somewhere. Don't ignore this in a thoughtful portfolio way. If you're a founder kind of thinking, waiting, him and hun, get off the get off the sideline and, and go. Because like I said, you know, if you look at history, some of the best innovation comes through like the most harrowing, terrible times. So that'd be my advice. I love it. And uh, support that wholly that uh, get more investors out there investing in funds and helping early stage companies because it's a pretty exciting asset class. Important one. We're not curing cancer, but it's uh, you got to support them early or you're not going to see. Look, everyone loves technology when it works for them. Right. And it solves problems. Pushing a button to get X and pushing a button for things to come to you. like So you, unless you're supporting them early, it's kind of hard to get that, sort of get those benefits. So that's kind of where I was going with that. Agreed. I love it. Well, Chris, again, thank you very much for your time today. It was brilliant. We'll, uh, we'll certainly tag you and post it and, and keep you abreast of when it does launch. But uh, congrats. Look forward to that and sharing it. And I enjoyed the conversation. Likewise. Thanks, man. Have a great day. You too. Brilliant. You know what? I, I love the fact that uh, you really talked about that whole rapport side. I think that, you know, do what you say and, and make it happen. And, and all those things that really refine how a startup needs to focus and work and get their investors aligned to where they want to go. Huge, huge, huge. So, and to all of his advice, you know, there's going to be a lot of action happening in the next little while when we roll out of this pandemic and you need to be ready for it. So spring, summertime's coming. So hopefully, uh, that opens up a lot more doors, but it was a pleasure talking with Chris. So you guys have a great day. Thank you.